Savior. We're going to get into the Word of the Lord here for a little while. And um, I said this on Sunday morning. It, it had been a month since I'd done any teaching behind this pulpit uh, on Sunday morning. Well, any official teaching. I have probably followed up after a few preachers and expounded a time or two, I imagine. Um, but since I taught a full lesson, it's been month because of trip to Africa, because of guest preachers, just a lot of things going on. And uh, so it has been, again, a month since I've had a Tuesday night to do any teaching, and I'm trying my best to get through this series on Tuesday nights. And we are on part five of this lesson, and um, I've been trying to get to this material. And you know, as I go through these things, we, we've talked about a lot of things in these Tuesday night sessions, and, and I do hope that everybody knows that I don't, I don't put these lessons together based on who I think is going to be sitting in the congregation or listening online. This is not a direct attack on anybody. And, and as I start getting into specifics of what God really wants for our lives, I'm going inevitably to touch something in somebody's life. I heard a man say one time, if, if, if I'm not going to be able to just preach the Word of God and, I, and I'm going to worry about the possibility of uh, dealing with something that's going on, he said, I'm not going to be able to, to, to talk about anything except hunting elephants. About the only thing I can talk about that's not going to bother anybody. And uh, I don't plan to talk about hunting elephants tonight. So I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, and, and I've found as some of the lessons that I've taught in the past, I've had people contact me later and say, you know, I was really struggling with that particular problem in my life. And, and God knows all of that. But I promise you this is not about somebody sitting here. These notes, for the most part, have been put together. These notes, for sure, have been put together for over a month. I had no way of knowing a month ago who was going to be sitting here tonight. Or who'd be listening online tonight. And so please don't ever take it as a personal affront. If the things that I say um, happen to apply to you. As I said, at some point along the way, something is going to apply to every one of us. As we go through this series in dealing with what God wants for us in our lives, it, there's going to be something somewhere that each of us will need to re-examine and reconsider. And so I, I do know preachers who preach from um, observation as opposed to inspiration. I don't know if you recognize the difference there, but there are some that just look and see what's out in the congregation, and that determines their sermon, and they go after them accordingly. That's not what I do. It's never been my approach. It's, it's all about inspiration. It's about what I really feel in my heart the Lord wants me to address. And if, if it affects you, then what you need to do is say, thank God that the Lord cares enough about me to offer correction. Because the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Or He disciplines. And, and in fact, the Bible says, if God never disciplines you, if God never corrects you, the Scripture says you're really not God's child at all. So if you can go to church service after service after service and never once feel corrected, you need to question your relationship with God. I know that's not the popular way to think about church. We think about church as a pep rally. 
I want to come to church and walk out of here feeling better about myself. Well, that's fine if you're doing okay. But if by chance there's something in your life that needs adjusting, you don't need to go out of here feeling good about yourself. You need to recognize, hey, I've got a situation I need to work on. So you can start working on that. And that's, again, a sign of God's love, not a sign of his anger or hatred. It's a sign that he loves you. Praise God. So, having said all that, um, I had to say all that because of where we're going tonight. Because in this series... I've been dealing with things that most of you, it, it's, it's not anywhere on your radar. Um, we've talked about the dangers of alcohol. For most of the people listening to me, that's, that's not a problem. may have been at some point in your past, but, but for most of you, it's not a problem for you today. I, I, I taught a, a lesson where we dealt with nicotine. I've, I've dealt with the use of of illicit drugs. For, for many of you, that's, that's, it's not something that, that you even think about. But tonight, tonight may be the night that I get voted out. <laughs> I'll try to be as sweet as I can be. Now everybody's nervous. <laughs> this was the wrong introduction. I recognize that now. You young preachers, don't do it this way, all right? I got myself in trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and, and um, verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. This has been our text for this particular lesson. As I said, this is part 5 of this one lesson that we're doing. And, and again, for, for those who have not been a part, I am in the process of writing another book in, in my series of Understanding Apostolic Doctrine. Got the first two out, Understanding the Godhead, and then uh, Understanding the New Birth. And the third one is going to be Understanding Separation, because that's a part of Apostolic Doctrine as well. And so, what I really felt led to do as I'm working on this book is to teach what will be chapters in the book to this church. And, and in so doing, always when I'm behind the pulpit, there are things that I feel prompted to say that I didn't think about when I'm just sitting down writing. And that helps me in the development of the materials. And so we're working our way through that. And... Um, we're going to try to, to make a little bit more progress here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So, let me... Let me just tell you tonight, we are continuing on part five of this lesson that I've entitled A Clean Temple. A Clean Temple. And we're dealing with the temple of your body. The temple of your body. And we're talking about spiritual cleanness. It's not a le lesson on grooming. Although I have met a few people that I feel like I probably need to. Oh, Jesus, help me. This is going to be, this is going to be interesting tonight. The, 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 the attitude I've got, this is going to be interesting. I pray God will help me tonight. Help me to stay focused. I want to stay focused. I want to stay focused. So, we're dealing with a clean temple. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you lift your voices, lift your hands? Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. I need the help of God tonight.
Jesus. That's it. Let's praise him one more time, everybody. Let's praise the Lord together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Um, because it's been a month, I do need to do some review here tonight. And um, I want to just remind you, so many folks seem to get in their minds that once the church came into existence and we were in the New Testament era, that God no longer cared about how we live our lives or what we do. And, and that idea is becoming very popular, even in, in, in apostolic and Pentecostal churches. It's, it's becoming a very popular thing to say that, that God's just not concerned about all of that. And, and there's a dangerous attitude that we can develop when we start buying into that. Because that's the farthest thing from what the scripture teaches. And I would remind you that the New Testament apostles only had the Old Testament from which to preach. They didn't have a New Testament. They were living the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. And so anything they preached, they had to preach from the Old Testament. So we can't just throw out the Old Testament and ignore it. Now, we don't go and find all of the laws that are in the Old Testament and try to impose those Old Testament laws, though some of them do apply. And I don't have time to get into the differences there, but, but let me just make it clear that when it comes to morality, that never changes. That's why the Ten Commandments are still binding. Those are Old Testament verses, but they're still binding on us today because those things involve morality. Don't steal, don't lie, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Those, those, are, those are moral obligations that are just as binding on the New Testament church as they were on the Old Testament children of Israel. Because God's nature never changes. Now, when it comes to eating pork and it comes to sowing various seeds in one place or making garments of two different kinds, those things are not, are not issues of morality. They were either issues of, of civil governance for the nation of Israel or religious observation for the Jewish faith. And we don't observe either of those categories. But the moral things are still binding. But here's what is important. That even in those things we no longer observe, there were principles taught that apply. And that's what you see throughout the New Testament is, is the writers of the New Testament taking Old Testament passages and applying principles. For instance, when the Apostle Paul talks about tithing, he goes back to the Old Testament system. And, and he talks about how the law says you can't muzzle the ox. And he said God didn't care about whether an ox eats or not. God didn't write that for the ox's sake. Paul said he wrote it for the sake of the ministry. And so Paul pulled principles from even those laws which we no longer observe. There were principles there. And one of the principles that we see very, very clearly in the Old Testament was the importance of having a proper respect and reverence for the temple or tabernacle of God. The place where God dwelt, the place for his, where His Spirit resided, had to be kept in highest esteem. It was to be treated properly. 
God gave explicit, explicit, minute instructions on how to take down the tabernacle, how to put it back up, who could carry what, who could not carry what. It was all very, very explicit. And there's a principle there. Because the Apostle Paul comes along in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and he says, all right, understand this. Back then the reason it was so important to honor and reverence and care for that building is because that's where the Spirit of God resided. Now in today's world, in the church age, the Spirit of God is residing in our bodies. And the principle still applies. Our body now has become the temple of God. And because our body is the temple of God, we've got to show the proper respect and honor to God's temple. Praise God. And, and so that's why we've, we've spent weeks, and I'm, I'm really cutting this, this review very short, but that's why we spent weeks dealing with, as I said, drinking alcohol because of the impact that alcohol has on the temple of God, which is your body. You lose control of your own faculties. You're not in charge anymore. The alcohol is. And that's not even to mention the physical detriment that alcohol is to the human body. The liver can't handle alcohol. And, and you're doing physical harm to your body in consuming alcohol. So you're not honoring the temple of the Holy Ghost. We, we spent a week dealing with nicotine, with, with cigarettes, and, and e-cigarettes, and vaping, and chewing tobacco. And again, it is this same principle of the negative impact it has on your body. Also, in, in both of these cases, we've talked about the addiction factor. Because the Apostle Paul said, even those things which may be lawful, I'm not going to allow myself to be brought under its power. In other words, once I have to give up my will to a substance, that substance becomes sin for me. If that substance is calling the shots in my life, then it doesn't matter if it's otherwise lawful or not. And we, we dealt with this, another category that we, and I think this was our very last category that we dealt with in this particular lesson, and that was illicit drugs. We, we talked about not all drugs are sinful. I'm telling you, there have been times I've been thankful for a pain pill. I, I don't preach it's a sin. To use medicine properly. Even Jesus, you'll remember we brought this out. Even Jesus made the statement that they that be whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus said the sick need doctors. So Jesus didn't preach against doctors. And he was the healer. But the problem with this is, again, losing control. It's this twofold, two pronged danger. Number one, the damage it does to the temple. And number two, the fact that you can be brought under the power of it. Which, you know, a lot of folks, well, marijuana is not. Well, look, when, when, you, when you start. Inhaling. You are losing a degree of control. You just are. 
And, and it changes who you are, and it changes your personality. And I'm telling you, the only thing I want changing me is the Spirit of God. The only thing I want dictating my actions in my life is the Spirit of God. Nothing else. So, so all of that, most of you were riding well with me. So let's see how many folks bail out on me when I get to my next point here. Because this, this really is a subject I just don't hear preached about. And, and look, I've, I've been in the church for 50 years now. In fact, 51 if you want to be technical. I mean, half a century I've been living for God. And I could count on one hand the number of times I've heard anybody even address this subject. Because this seems to be something that Christians just like to ignore. We're quick to label smoking and drinking as sin. But boy, this is an area that we just don't want to talk about. Um, let's go to Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Please don't shoot the messenger tonight. <laughs> Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Read for me, Brother Hilton. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous wine bibbers. everybody can say amen on that. Amen on that. Yeah, <laughs> all right. So everybody's still fine on that. Let's, let's go on. Among riotous eaters of flesh. Hmm. Riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. For the drunkard and the glutton. You see how quiet it is? But, but look, if we're going to declare the whole counsel of God, we can't pick and choose yeah. what we want to deal with. And the areas that we are uncomfortable with, we still have to consider if they're in the Scripture. And this is in the Scripture. Proverbs 28, verse 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. But he that is a, a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Now, this riotous men, see, we can read over this in the King James and think, oh, well, you know, I'm not involved in riots. But when you look at this in the original, in fact, many other translations translate it this way. He that is a companion of gluttons. That's the kind of rioting the scripture's talking I really don't expect folks to be running the aisles. But I will tell you this, it probably would help if. if <laughs> some of you are getting it now. A few laps, you know, a few laps around the sanctuary might not hurt too bad. <laughs> Look, let's face the facts. All right, let's just, let's just be honest here tonight. Let's face the facts. Many of the arguments used against smoking and drinking, such as the impact it has on your body and the addiction that it brings, can equally apply to gluttony. And while many, many children of God would not even consider a glass of wine, or one cigarette. Those same folks have no qualms about gorging themselves at the dinner table. I don't think this chair goes low enough. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just telling you the truth. 
I'm just being honest with you. Now, look, not everybody that's overweight is a glutton. So let's, let's just clear the air a little bit. I'm not telling you you got to match up with the weight charts. But I think we do need to stop and consider what we do to our body sometimes. I know it's much easier for me to say this now, 100 pounds lighter than I was. But you can go back and check the record, and I, I actually taught this. In fact, I said I, the times that I've heard it dealt with, I could count on one hand. At least one of those, I dealt with it myself. So you can go back and find it. It's on record. It's on the website somewhere. I did deal with it. Um, it's, it's been something that I've struggled with my whole life. Some of it is genetics. I got a friend that, that can out eat me any day of the week and stays as skinny as a rail and he makes me sick. <laughs> Not really. I start out by saying he's my friend. But, but look, there is a lot to do with genetics. There's, there's a lot to do with just the kinds of food that we eat. So I'm not telling you it's a sin to be overweight. All right, does that make anybody feel any better? Maybe some of you don't hate me quite as bad. But I do think we really do need to stop and think about what we're doing. When we know we're full, but it just tastes so good. And, and look, there's another problem. Let's, and again, I'm just trying to be honest. I'm trying to just come down to where the rubber meets the road. The fact of the matter is for many of us, and I use us, I'm specifically using that term. But for many of us, food is a comfort mechanism. When we're stressed, when we're uptight, when we're depressed, when we've got issues going on, we turn to food. But let me ask you, where should we turn? We should turn to God. Right? And is it possible that we are allowing food to do for us what God should be doing for us? And so these are just some things that we need to consider. I'll get off of this in a minute, so... All right, now those of you that are asking me just to keep going, all right, you, you asked for it. It's probably the skinny people that are saying that. I, I, probably the people that couldn't, get, couldn't gain five pounds if they had to. That's probably the ones telling me to go ahead. I can think about food and gain five pounds. I, I just... Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Brother Nelson. I'm telling you, it's just... The way it is. I can dream about food and get up in the morning and gain weight. It's just, it's just the way it works. But we do need to consider what we're doing to our And, and I'm honest confession is good for the soul. I'm fighting a situation right now with my liver. Because for me, my liver responds has responded to fat the same way most people's liver responds to alcohol. And I, I am battling cirrhosis right now. Not battling. It, it's, they feel like it's contained. They feel like it's not going to get any worse, but the damage is done, and they don't feel like it's going to get better. And that's on me. Because I didn't do a better job of controlling it in years gone by. Now how can I preach about the danger of alcohol if I'm doing the same thing with food? I, I, I'm just trying to be absolutely transparent tonight. 
And I don't know if this will lighten things up or not, but let's let's read. Let's read Job 1527. Oh Jesus. Help me, Lord. Lord, be a fence all around me every day. Job 15:27. Because he covereth his face with his fatness, and maketh callops of fat on his flanks. This, this word collops, collops, that, that word literally means pieces of flesh. In fact, the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary rends it this way, masses of fat. He covers his face with fatness and he adds masses of fat to his flanks. The World English Bible says he has covered his face with fatness and gathered fat on his thighs. The New King James, though he has covered his face with fatness and made his waist heavy with fat. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, his face is covered with fat and his waistline bulges with it. Yeah, I'm thinking this is probably not lightening things up any. Um... The 1899 Dewey Reams Bible says fatness hath covered his face and the fat hangeth down on his sides. Now who's being spoken of here? Who, who's he talking about? This is Job 15, 27. Who's he talking about here? As he describes somebody, who's he describing? Well, you back up to verse 20 and you find out who he's describing. What does verse 20 say? The wicked man travails. The, wait, wait, wait. The what? Wicked man. The wicked man. The wicked man. So the subject in this passage is someone who's wicked. And then he is described in this way. Aren't you glad New Year's coming? Because everybody will start a diet on January 1st. Um. What is that stuff your wife sells? What? Herbalife. Yeah. Yeah. See, if she was here tonight, we could have her doing lots of sales right now. Getting folks started on Herbalife. Weight Watchers. I need to collect it. No, no. Look, I, I'm, again, I am not in any way trying to tell you it's a sin to be overweight. Even after 100 pounds, according to the weight charts, I'm still overweight. I'm not telling you it's a sin. But what I'm saying is, saints of God, if we're going to be consistent, if we're going to be consistent, let us not condemn one thing because it destroys our body or because it becomes addictive and overlook something else that does the same thing. Consider how God described the rebellion of Israel. Deuteronomy 32, verse 15. But Jeshurun waxed fat. Which Jeshurun is a, is a term that God used to describe Israel. And he said they did what? Waxed fat. They waxed fat. And kicked. And kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. I'm in such dangerous territory. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Then Jeshurun became fat and rebelled. He became, this is not helping. He became fat, bloated, and gorged. He abandoned the God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. The Message Bible, which I don't recommend, but here it is, says Jeshurun put on weight and bucked. You got fat, became obese, a tub of lard. <laughs> it's in the Message Bible. I'm just reading to you what it says. All right, let's move on to another topic. All right, what do you say? Let's, let's go on to something else here. So while we're on the topic of the body, let's talk about body mutilations or maybe I should maybe I should tone it down and just say modification and 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 look 
I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about a sex change. Or I guess the woke term is gender reassignment. That could be included in what I'm about to talk about. But that's not really the topic. But I'm talking about making any modifications to your body through things like tattoos, piercings, cuttings, or other forms of what can rightfully be considered mutilation of the body as God created it. And the word mutilate just simply means to disfigure or in any way to bring injury or change to your body with the intent of having a permanent effect. Now, before I look at the specific scriptural prohibitions, I, I, I want to first just bring up this point. What is the motive behind a piercing or a tattoo? What's the motive behind that? Why do people do that? Now, Proverbs 16.2, read that for me. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. The Lord weighs the spirits. In other words, everybody looks at themselves. In fact, the common English version says, we may think we know what's right, but the Lord is the judge of our motives. So we find justification to do what we want to do. But God knows the real motivation behind it. What really prompted us to do it? And if we're going to consider the motivation behind it, let me just, these are some questions you really need to ask yourself. Am I trying to identify with a particular culture other than the church? The church is supposed to become our culture. I, I stress this when I go to Africa. They say, well, this is our culture. This is our culture. Certain sinful behaviors. This is our culture. I mean, there, there are those over there who honestly will tell you that adultery is just their culture. So they can excuse anything under the guise of culture. But here's the problem. When we come into the church, we should adopt a kingdom culture. And the kingdom culture supersedes any other culture we might have. And so I've got, you've got to ask yourself, am I doing this? Is this tattoo? Is this piercing? Is this whatever I've done? Is it so I can identify with a particular culture? In other words, is it so I can blend in to the rest of the world? So I can be like they are? Is there some star somewhere that I want to look like. Well, here's what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among come them. Come out from among them. And be ye separate. And be ye separate, saith the, saith Lord. the Lord. Touch not the unclean Don't thing. Don't touch what is unclean. And I will receive and you. And then he says, I'll receive you. And will be a father and unto will be you. A father unto and you shall be my and sons and And you'll be my daughters, sons and my daughters, the Lord saith the Lord Almighty. So God puts a qualifier on whether or not he will accept us as a son or daughter. And that qualifier is we can't be trying to be like the world. We cannot try to emulate what the world is doing. Let me just say, especially to any new converts, the best thing you can do is look around at established members of the church and see how they look. And realize there's probably a reason why they look that way. There's probably a reason why they have the appearance that they have. And, and so... You should want to identify with the culture of the church. Not the culture outside the church. 
So that's question number one. What's, am I trying to identify with a particular culture? Question number two, am I yielding to peer pressure? Listen to Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased, if men, I yet pleased men, I should not, I should be, the not be the servant of Christ. Do you see that Paul gives us an either or here? You can't do both. If you're going to try to please everybody out there, you are not serving Christ. Now that's what the anointed, inspired word of God says. And yet so many folks come in the church and, well, I'm worried about what my family thinks. Or I'm worried about what my friends think. And I'm going to tell you, the moment that's your motivating factor, you're not serving Christ. You're serving them. Number three, am I more concerned about my outer appearance than I am my inner man? Am I more worried about the way I look to everybody else than I am about the spirit inside me? And look, this is a question everybody needs to ask. Even those who don't have problems, you're not guilty of any of these things. But you can look 100% Christian and have a foul spirit on the inside. And you're not accomplishing anything. That's what the Pharisees were condemned for. They were not condemned because of the way they lived. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say to his followers, whatever they tell you to do, do it. But he said, don't follow their actions because they say it, but they don't live it. That's what he condemned. They find the letter of the law and they miss the spirit of the law. And that's a danger for apostolics. Well, I'm going to look the part, but, but gossip and hatred and bitterness and, and our inner man becomes vile and corrupt. Our, our primary focus ought to be the inner man. That ought to be what we're looking at more than anything. I want my inner man to be right. I want my spirit to be right. I want my heart to be right. Praise God. Um, 2 Corinthians 10 and 7. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to him that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. Do, do you look on the things after the outward appearance? Now this is a question Paul asks to the Corinthian church. And it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we more concerned? Now, outward appearance matters. And I spent weeks teaching that. Right. And you can go back and find all of that on the website. I, I taught in depth. Outward appearance does matter to God. It really does. But what I'm telling you tonight is you can't let that be the only thing that matters. And I'm saying to, to, to others, when you start worrying about, well, I want to look like the world. I want to act like them. I don't want them to know there's any difference. I don't want to stand out from them. Then there's a problem. Question number four, am I drawing undue attention to my flesh? You know, I, I see these folks with these, I don't know what you call them, but peepholes. You know, what? Gauge. See, I don't, I don't know all the terminology. I mean, you know, they can push a ball bearing through that thing. What? That draws attention to your flesh. I, I don't care. It just does. It does. And, and is that really what you want people to notice about you? As a Christian, are you wanting them to notice your flesh? 
You shouldn't. What you should want them to notice is the spirit in you. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to any museum where they hang the pictures that, are, that were painted by the masters, you know, Rembrandt. But I'm going to tell you, they don't use frames that are decked out in jewels and diamonds. and They don't put that in the frame. Because if they did, that's what everybody would look at. They don't want you looking at the frame. They want you to look at the picture. And our lives ought to be a picture of Jesus Christ. Our flesh becomes the frame. I don't want them looking at the frame. I want them looking at the picture on the inside. Yes. Right, right, right. First Peter 5 and 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. All right, now listen to this. And be clothed, be clothed with humility. With what? Humility. With humility. For God resisteth the proud. Because God resists the proud. And giveth grace to the humble. Now this is what God expects of us. We ought to be clothed in humility. The way that we appear before men. Ought to speak of humility, not pride. Not arrogance. Bible in basic English says, let all of you put away pride and make yourselves ready to be servants. For God is a hater of pride, and he gives grace to those who make themselves low. So, so these four questions, before we get to any scriptural addressing of, of things like piercings and tattoos and cuttings, These four questions will eliminate a whole lot of that, if not all of it. But just in case, you can answer all these questions and still think you're okay with it. Then let's talk about some other scriptures. Deuteronomy 15, verse 17. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. Now, now listen. I, I've taught this church that when God establish a, establishes a symbol, that symbol lasts. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he taught on communion or the Lord's Supper, he, he addressed the bread, the fruit of the vine, and, and he said, this is the Lord's body, the, the bread, and, and this is the Lord's blood. Why did he do that? Because Jesus set that symbol. Jesus is the one who said that during the Last Supper. And when God sets a symbol, it lasts, it stands, it doesn't change. Now, I'm reading this scripture because God's the one who's setting here a symbol. And God says, if you are a slave to another person, on the year of Jubilee, all slaves are set free. If you're a servant, you, you're an indentured servant, you've, you've had to go and work because you owe a debt and you're working. When it comes the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years, on that 50th year, I don't care if, if you owed for 49 more years on the year of Jubilee, you're set free. But he said, if, if you're a servant or a slave working under someone and you say, you know what, I don't want my freedom. I want to stay here. I'm going to commit myself for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a slave. God said, here's the way we're going to symbolize that to the world. You pierce your ear. Now, this was God's symbol. God said, piercing your ear is a symbol of slavery. I'm not a slave anymore. I was a slave to sin. But I'm not a slave anymore. I've been set free. 
And if God says that's a symbol of slavery, I don't want that symbol in my life. It was God who established that piercing is a symbol of slavery. Perpetual slavery, in fact. Now that's God's view of piercing. Let's look at Leviticus 19 and 28. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Don't make any cuttings in your flesh, number one. So, you know, it, 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 I marvel that this stuff goes on today. This, this cutting. It, it is something that, that many young people are turning to. And, and the Bible is very clear, don't do that. And I think we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. We're going to, in fact, the very next scripture, we're going to address cutting. But, but I want to address the last half of this verse. It said, Nor print any marks upon you. Now, another translation says it this way. Never get a tattoo. I am the Lord. Well, that's just as clear as you can make it. It just doesn't get any more clear than that. Never get a tattoo because I'm the Lord. So there is a very, very clear statement in Scripture against it. Let me just back up and say something. You get into the church, you've already had these piercings, you've already got these tattoos. There's just nothing you can do about that. And the blood of Jesus cleanses all sin. So it's not about what happened before you came in church. And don't let the devil then drive you crazy over things that happened before you got in church. The key is from this point forward, you don't do it again. Because once you come to God, it's all under the blood. Right. And, and I know you're going to be reminded of it. You're going to see it. But I'm telling you, it's under the blood. Yes. And you are not to feel condemned about what you did before you came to God. Right. Don't let the devil hound your mind over things you did before you came to God. Either his blood cleanses us of everything or it doesn't. And the Bible said it does. And everything includes piercings and tattoos and cuttings. If you did those things before coming to God, there's still forgiveness. And even if you had come into the church and you didn't know and you did it, there's still forgiveness. And the key is, you know now. You go on from this point, from this time. And that same principle is going to apply for other things we're going to deal with in the weeks to come. It's important. In fact, the Bible says it this way, judgment begins at the house of God. Right. So whatever happened to you before you repented of your sins, were baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost, it's irrelevant in your walk with God today. It doesn't matter. Well, praise God. Now, let, let, me, let me come back and, and talk about this cutting, all right? And I'm nearly done tonight. It's 10 minutes to 9. I'm almost finished. I should be finished by about 9 o'clock. First, first Kings chapter 18 and verse number 25, 1 Kings 18, and we'll start with verse 25 and go through verse 28. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. For ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock 
which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal. From morning until e- morning, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leapt upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is on a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Now, now, now you understand the setting here. We're talking about idol worshipers. In the worship of their false god, here's what they do. Verse 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves. And, and did what? Cut themselves. They cut themselves. In worship of Baal, they cut themselves. After their manner with knives and lancets till the, wood, till the blood gushed out upon them. And so this practice of cutting has its roots in idolatry. In the worship of false gods. And I promise you it is still the spirits of those false gods. That drives people to cut themselves today. Now let me take you back to our text. And this is my last scripture. We take you back to our text. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. If any man do what? Defile. If any man defile, wouldn't you say it's defiling your temple to pierce it and cut it, discolor it, put markings on it? You know, we, we had a situation some years ago where we pulled up to the church and somebody had painted graffiti on the wall out there, on the end wall of the church. They defiled this building. We had to scrub it. We had to get it clean. When you're writing things on your body, your body is the temple of God. You're, you're writing graffiti on God's temple. When you're piercing it, when you're cutting it. Now, this is what this is what Thayer's Greek lexicon says. It says, in the opinion of the Jews, the temple was corrupted or destroyed when anyone defiled or in the slightest degree damaged anything in it. It was defiled if it was damaged in the slightest. And Paul is using terminology writing to Jews. When he says don't defile the temple of God, he's telling us do your best to not do damage to it. Sometimes damage happens. But we don't have to be the cause of it. All right, so we talk about a clean temple. They're, 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 these are not the only ways in which a Christian can defile the holy temple of his body. I've just tried to cover some of the most common ways that, that need to be shunned at any cost. There is another one, and that is the subject of immorality. And we're going to take probably more than one week to deal with that by itself. We're going to do an entire lesson just on that subject. Because the Bible has a lot to say about it. But that's another way the temple can be defined. So I have to just say with the Apostle Paul, he said, and such like. But you get the idea that's being conveyed here. Don't defile God's temple. I'm thankful that God chose to put his spirit inside of me. What an honor that God would put this 
great treasure in an earthen vessel. Now, I want to show him I appreciate it by not doing damage to the vessel that houses his glorious spirit. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now. Praise God. Praise God. I love you, Jesus. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, come on. Let's lift our hands. Let's, let's stand. Let's talk to the Lord for a few moments. I know it's time to dismiss. Can we just take a few moments right where we are? And let's talk to God. Can we commit ourselves to Him that, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to do my best to not defile this temple. You honored me by putting your spirit within me. I want to do my best to not defile.